A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I ask, what have you learned? Welcome in. We are live here on this Friday before week one of the NFL season. It is back. We had football last night. It was great to see NFL football, of course, we're talking about. We've had college for two weeks now. But nonetheless, we have a lot to do today, and it will mostly center around the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, plus, I'll give you some plays for the weekend in the NFL that I really like before the end of the show. So we've got a lot to do here today. Appreciate you guys joining me on this Football Friday. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at LockedOnATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. And check out the entire row of shows that we have here on the Locked On Sports Atlanta Network. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Okay, um, I was doing some research here on the Atlanta Falcons and in particular Arthur Smith as we head into week one. Um, we've talked so much about the lead up about how Arthur Smith has tried to do things differently um, and try to prepare this team differently for this week one opener against the New Orleans Saints. And I think that's good. I think it's smart. But really, for me, when you start to read into some of the numbers here, this is about what has Arthur Smith learned from last year to this year and how much of an adjustment coach is he? Because guess what? The best adjustment coaches in this league are the ones who last the longest. The ones who are able to adapt, the ones who are able to change on the fly, the ones who are able to, to figure out problems mid-game and make sure that they are solved before the game gets out of hand. And this is a question, I think, for Arthur Smith in figuring out how much he has changed from last year to this year. You know, one of the things that uh, Arthur Smith used a ton of in Tennessee that he was incredibly successful with was play action. And uh, if, if anybody is a fan, by the way, of Warren Sharp, uh, you know, Sharp, the Sharp football analysis, uh, the guy's really good. Um, and I buy his preview and, and there's a lot of incredible notes in there and stats and everything that you're just not going to find written up pretty much on any website. If you're into, I don't want to say X's and O's, but if you're into analytics per se of X's and O's, then it's always a great read. Um, and his breakdown of the Falcons was spot on. The numbers are quite illuminating, if you will. And I say all that to say, because Arthur Smith last year used play action a ton, right? And you could say, well, he used it in Tennessee because he had Derrick Henry and it worked. That may be true, but still, he used it last year without a running game. The problem was last year, when he used it in the first couple of weeks, um, they were only averaging a depth of target, meaning how far they threw the ball down the field, of 2.8 yards. So there are a lot of checkdowns in the play action. Well, that defeats the point of play action because the point of play action is just to draw linebackers in. If you're still throwing the ball below where the linebackers are, you're actually just putting the linebackers closer to the football. So um, that was a recipe for failure. They changed. The target of depth went from just 2.8 yards to 9.6 yards, and they had a much higher success rate. That was something that he adapted to. That's a win for the Falcons. Right. Those are the kind of adapt adaptations we need to see him make. Now, there's more of what Arthur Smith is used to from a consistency standpoint, or at least a philosophical standpoint. His two tight end sets were a major part of what 
he does offensively. And you saw that going back to Tennessee. Uh, the personnel groupings that he used, and I'm curious to see how much he is going to use those two tight end sets again. They were very effective in Tennessee. Again, this is Derrick Henry aside, and I'm going to prove to you why it's Derrick Henry aside in a moment. Um, but this is the formation he likes to work out of, two tight end sets. So you got Parker Hesse, you have uh, John Fitzpatrick, who's on IR right now. But you know, how much are they going to use the two tight end set traditionally? How much will Kyle Pitts line up inside as a tight end? How much will he line up split? Um, you know, I, I think that that is part of the reason why uh, they drafted the way they did. And maybe it makes more sense because they want to leave Kyle Pitts inside on the line of scrimmage. So you draft another guy on the outside that makes it more amenable for Kyle Pitts to get open. These are things that I'm looking for in week one, right? I want to see where Pitts lines up. I want to see how many two tight end sets they get. I want to see how much play action they use. These are the things that last year they had to sort of figure out a little bit on the fly and make some changes and adaptations too. Will they stick with him? Do they consider it successful? Uh, and how much changing will they do? I'll give you proof why Derrick Henry not being on the Falcons doesn't matter. And I'll do that in just a second. First, a word for my friends over at Built Bar. Folks, these Built Bars are amazing. They're off the charts. And their newest flavor, the cookie dough chunk and the puffs, oh, it is so good. Chewy, real cookie dough. And, of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. You get all the joys of cookie dough without the hassle of all the bad stuff that comes with it. By the way, these bars are a great snack when you're feeding something sweet, but you don't want all the guilt. They're only 160 calories. They have 15 grams of protein in them, the good collagen protein that's more digestible. Uh, your body absorbs it more efficiently and provides you tons of health benefits. So you can eat something that tastes good and is also good for you. So run to built.com, snag a box for the entire family. It's the perfect treat, but you're probably going to want to hide them and keep them for yourself only. Again, go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON15 at checkout to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's built.com and the promo code Locked on 15. All right, back to the Falcons here and why uh, them not having Derrick Henry doesn't matter. And you know this doesn't matter why? Because the Falcons last year committed to the run on first down more than any team in the NFL. And they were bad at it. They were really bad at it. They had the worst the worst first down run rate success of any team in the league last year. Now, there was a little bit of a pivot because when you look at what they did in the first seven weeks, okay, uh, or the first six weeks, I should say, because I think they had a buy in week five, week six last year, whatever it was. Um, yeah, they were terrible on first down. And then the week after the bye, they went to passing more on first down. They beat the Dolphins last year in that game. And then Arthur Smith went back into running on first down at a 58% clip. And I think it's interesting to note that Arthur Smith last year, with the benefit of having Matt Ryan, still didn't pass enough on first down as much as he should have. Um and now when you have a lesser quarterback with Marcus Mariota, how much will they 
stick with the run early on, despite the fact that they didn't have any success. I think that is something that's critical to note. Um, if you're constantly putting yourself in second and nine and second and eight, uh, and then you pass on second down, well, if you don't get a completion, now you're in a very untenable third and eight, third and long situation, which are very tough to make. Putting your team behind the eight ball and behind the line of scrimmage, both figuratively and literally, um, is, is a recipe for disaster, especially for an offense that's not very accomplished. And I think that when you look at this, these are the sort of things I want to see if Arthur Smith has truly pivoted on. Is he going to change? Is he going to do things differently this year than he did last year? Because guess what? You know, the schedule didn't get easier this year. It got harder. You're playing, especially at the beginning, you're playing a whole level of, of different toughness of opponents that you didn't see last year. So uh, there is a certain amount of how much do I want to stick to my principles or how much do I want to adapt to what's in front of me? Another note about the running game last year. They were much more effective last year running to the right. Surprisingly, they were more effective running to the right and less effective running to the left. Yet, they ran a lot more to the left than they did to the right. Why? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I'll give you one final stat here that I think is going to be important. And not only the stat itself, but in the macro picture. Last year, on the first drive of the game, okay, the Falcons were seventh in the NFL in scoring percentage. Top 10 for that offense last year. Seventh in the NFL in scoring percentage. However, comma, they were 31st in the league in touchdown percentage on their first drive, meaning they settled for a hell of a lot more field goals than they did touchdowns. We know the red zone issues on this team. We know the problems with the red zone on this team. Forget the red zone in particular. Folks, this team cannot settle for field goals. Young Waku cannot be the most important player on your offense. And I don't want to hear that crap because you know how much I hate kickers. But the point is, is simply that this team settling for field goals will cost them games. They've got to find a way to get in the end zone. And it's on Arthur Smith to find a way for them to get in the end zone. All right, coming up next, um, the five most important Falcons this year are I'll tell you who that is right after this on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Check out all the shows right here on our great lineup. This is A to Z. You have Hitting Harder, John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones, Jarvis Davis, and Tanitra Batiste. Of course, our Braves postcast after every Braves game as well. Locked On Falcons, Locked On Hawks. You know where to go for the best content right here. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. 3,000 subscribers already. Thank you guys for the love and support. We appreciate it. it. just means we're doing good work and you guys are enjoying what we're doing. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we'll get into Shovels of Wisdom and some interesting rule pivots from Major League Baseball coming up here before the end of the show, as well some NFL games and college games for you to bet on this weekend. All right. Uh, let's get to some more on the Falcons here. They get set to take on the Saints 1 o'clock Sunday, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, Josh Kendall, who is the Falcons uh, beat reporter for The Athletic, uh, put up his column of the most important players for a successful 2022 season. Uh, and I'll run down them real quick. And I don't like categorically disagree with all of them. I, I do disagree with some of them. Um, but uh, I'll run down them here real, real quick. Outside linebacker Lorenzo Carter. Uh, look, I agree generally in the sense that you have to find where the pass rush is. Uh, and and maybe it comes from Zoe. We'll see. It, it's up in the air. 
Kyle Pitts, I don't disagree, but I don't agree. Like, if Kyle Pitts doesn't have a big year, the whole offense is derelict. The coaching is derelict. Like, it, it's just, it's going to happen. You don't need Kyle Pitts to have a big year. It's He's going to have a big year. Grady Jarrett, same thing. Like, he's going to be good. Jared, Grady Jarrett's not going to be bad. And him being very good on bad teams is what we're used to seeing at this point in time. So I don't count that. Uh, running back Cordero Patterson. Okay, I, I sort of agree. Um and I'll, I'll dive into that one first when I get to my five, but it's a little bit wider than just Patterson. Uh, and then a quarterback. Well, duh. I mean, every team has to get good quarterback play in order for them to be successful. So, uh, again, not to poo-poo Josh Kendall. I think his work is great. I just, you know, I, I look at it from a different angle. And my angle is this. Um, and I'll start with basically the running back room uh, and and Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier and Damian Williams and everybody else. Like, here's the thing. I don't expect Cordero Patterson to be the main running back in RB1 for a better part of this year. Um, I think he needs to go back and transition to a slot guy. I think he needs to go back to being more of a pass catcher than a runner. Uh, and, and furthermore, I don't think he's going to last as a consistent running back. Like, that, that's a body that's getting injured at 31 years old. Just is. He'll be hurt by week six if he's getting 20, 20, 15 carries a game. Might get five to seven, sure. If he's getting 12 to 15, he's going to be hurt. It's just going to happen. It's just the way it is. Um, so we'll see what the load share looks like for him. They're definitely going to be running back by committee, uh, and we'll see how they go. But between Patterson, Tyler Algier, Williams, you know, whatever the running back room is, and I just talked about it a moment ago, the success – of running the ball on first down. Is that all in the running back? No. Is it some other running back? Yes. Is it a big part of the running back? Probably. Oh, but the holes aren't there. I, Barry Sanders never at all. And I'm not comparing anybody to Barry Sanders. But the point is, is that, that you have to find a way to get three yards or four yards on first down, three to four. Like you have to be in that range. You got to be second and seven or shorter. So you can do another check down pass for four yards and keep third and three manageable, right? Like that's where you have to be. But if you're if you're stuck on second and nine or or no gain, it's this team's going to get buried behind the sticks and uh, it's never going to go anywhere. So yes, I agree from that standpoint. Uh, I take a much bigger approach to some of these other pictures, but I'll tie my next biggest player into or most important player into the same thing, and that's Drew Dahlman in the center position. Guys, does anybody remember what Alex Mack did? for this offensive line in this franchise for as bad as things were the center of the offensive line is always always the most critical position on the line not the most important because that's left tackle but it is the most critical position from the standpoint of it's the glue that holds it together they make all the calls they make all the adjustments they have to be hand in hand with the quarterback they have to understand everything that's going on in front of them and they are the individual who oh by the way uh, has to force the pass rush outside. Here's the difference, okay? If the center collapses, there's never a pocket, period. You have no pocket without the center being the point, the top point of the pocket. That's it. Forget about the guys coming on the outside because they're taking the long route to get there. You get through up the middle, you're done. Go look at the way that Tom Brady was beaten over the years. Go look at the way that the Giants took two Super Bowls from the Patriots. Boom, right up the middle. Gave Brady no time. You get beat up the middle like that, you're done. There is no saving you. So that's why this center position is so critical, not only to the run game, 
but just the pass protection, everything on the offensive line. All right, three more positions here in just a moment. First, a word from our friends at Coffee AM. It is a daily part of my life, guys. Get up in the morning, pop a K-cup of Coffee AM in the Keurig, and get rolling. Why? The coffee is so fresh. It tastes great. smells great. It is the best because Coffee AM is the best small batch coffee roaster in America. They're right here in Georgia. The stuff is fresh because it's roasted and shipped on the same day or very close to it. They have so many flavors from around the world. You know, I talk about the Kenyan one that I love, Sumatra, Costa Rica, Tanzania. I mean, coffee from places you haven't heard of. Go to coffeeam.com backslash locked on and check out the full menu of coffees, teas, and gift sets. I promise you won't be disappointed. When that box shows up at your house and you open it up, you're going to be smacked in the face with coffee. And it's going to be amazing. Again, coffeeam.com backslash locked on. Use the coupon code locked on to get 15% off your first order at checkout of coffees, teas, and gift sets. Coffeeam.com, the best small batch coffee roaster in America. All right. Uh, three more pieces here real quick. Uh, and I will, and believe it or not, they're all on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Richie Grant. Why is Richie Grant important? And this goes beyond validating, you know, the draft pick that he was 40th overall in the first year of Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. And can they find guys deeper in the draft and all that stuff? Like those, those questions are there, but from a defensive standpoint, you know, there has always been, a problem with the back end of the Falcons secondary the year that they went to the Super Bowl, they got super play from Robert Alford, right? They got great safety play. And that's the one thing that's going to keep this defense in games. It's the one thing that's going to keep this defense from, from not getting beat on big plays guys, explosive plays will, will change the outcome of a game. And the Falcons were bad at stopping them last year. So They've got to get better at that. We know they're going to be good at corner. Terrell's absolutely fantastic. Casey Hayward's going to be good, serviceable, good, maybe not great, but they need somebody on the back end. And Richie Grant is the guy that they are counting on to make sure nobody takes the top off the defense. Huge job. If he gets beat early and often, his team's going to be in trouble. Second player on the defense, Michael Walker. Every Dean P's defense, every single one of them that has been successful, had a stalwart in the middle. Walker's the guy. Going into his third year now, uh, he is a guy that obviously they kept around when they knew they couldn't keep around Foye Oluokan. Well, they thrust it on Michael Walker's shoulders, and he's got to step up and prove it. If he can be a guy that is in the middle, and again, they knew this going in, and, and clearly – why they were so willing to move on from Deion Jones was because they had a certain amount of faith that Michael Walker could handle the job. He's a starting middle linebacker on a Dean Peace defense. That's a big, important role for success. So he needs to have a good year for this defense to be anything that is serviceable. And there's a lot of pressure on him, whether we talk about it or not, but with failing middle linebackers in a Dean Peace scheme, done. Done. That's what it boils down to. And then finally, Arnold Evacati. How much, I talked about this yesterday, how much will he be a situational pass rusher? How much is he going to be on rundowns? How much can he set the edge? How often will he be on the field? And how well can he get to the quarterback? Put a lot of stock in this draft pick. Again, I talked about Richie Grant, second round draft pick. Same thing with Arnold Evacati. Second round draft pick. These guys got to start to hit if the Falcons are going to get out of this rebuild in any size, way, shape, or form in a timely fashion. 
I'm not saying he's got to be from the jump, you know, in game one on Sunday, a, uh, a guy who, you know, has three sacks and, 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 you know, shows the world who he is. No, got to be a consistent player. Got to find a way to get to the quarterback. Give me six or seven sacks this year. Be think you'd be pretty happy with it as a rookie. Anything above that, you're starting to talk about defensive player of the year, defensive rookie of the year type stuff. So uh, can he get to the quarterback? Can he be an every down player? If they have drafted that guy and have found that guy, things start to get a lot better, a lot quicker on the defensive side of the ball. So those are my five guys who uh, have to have big years if the Falcons are going to succeed. All right, coming up next, uh, Shovels of Wisdom as well. Major League Baseball pivoting on some rules and some best bets in college and pro coming up this week. That's next right here on ABC on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Be right back. Final segment of A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Mark Zeno, of course, the entire network at Locked On ATL. Got some baseball news to get to, but first, it's time for a shovel of wisdom. Brace yourselves, because it's time for the shovel of wisdom. Ah, I got to give myself a shovel of wisdom because put the button wrong, had to replay. So anyway, you know what we do every day. Use the hashtag shovel of wisdom on my Twitter account if you'd like to hand one out as well. And today my shovel goes to the UFC. Yeah, uh, did you guys see that what happened yesterday at the uh, UFC 279 news conference? Yeah, it was canceled. Um, why? Well, because there were fights going on backstage uh, fighting each other. And not like the fighters who were going to fight each other on Saturday night. They were different fighters fighting each other. It's crazy. Kevin Holland... Um, and got into a skirmish with Kosmat Shemaev. 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 I, I get messed up with these foreign names. But anyway, um, Holland's supposed to fight Rodriguez. Shemaev is supposed to fight Nate Diaz. And the other two got into a fight. And then Li Jinglang, uh, who fights Tony Ferguson, um, got into a fight with former MMA fighter and agent Tiki Gosu. I, I mean, it was just melee backstage. Uh, and nobody could keep up. Dana White canceled the press conference. It was booing all over the place. Uh, I mean, I guess you come to expect it from the UFC. I mean, hey, they fight. That's what they do. But still, keep it in your pants, guys. Well, I guess that's not the right phrase. Um, keep, your, keep your hands in your pockets. No, that doesn't work either. Hey, don't fight each other backstage before or the actual fight. Okay? There's that. All right. Uh, let's get to Major League Baseball because they are going to vote on rule changes today. Uh, with quickening the pace of play. Uh, here are the rule changes that are expected to pass. Uh, and these are, I guess, I don't know, it seems to make the game more offensive if you ask me. But a 15-second pitch clock with the bases empty, 20-second clock with runners on. Um, you get two disengagements from the rubber, including pickoff attempts per plate appearance. Uh, there is a requirement by hitters to be in the batting batter's box and alert with eight seconds to go on the clock. Hitters are allowed one timeout per plate appearance. Only two infielders will be allowed on each side of second base with all four required to be on the dirt. So 
no more shifts. Uh, and for the guys who are playing on that side, they have to start when the pitcher goes into his windup, have to be on the dirt. They can't be back in the outfield. Like the second baseman or whatever can't back up even more towards right field to try and cut down a hit. Uh, infielders cannot position themselves in the outfield grass for the pitcher. Storm just said that. That's the other part. Bases will increase in size from 15 inches to 18 inches. Okay. Um, more on the pitch clock here. Uh, we'll start when the pitcher receives the ball from his catcher or the umpire. Uh, the play is ready to resume most of the times after the pitch. It might include the moment for a runner to return to a bag or a ball boy or a ball goal to clear the playing field, for example. Umpires will have a buzzer on them to indicate the pitch clock has expired, leading a ball to be called. So if you don't get the pitch in time, the ball is called. If hitters aren't ready with eight seconds left, a strike will be called. Each hitter is allowed one timeout. Now visits are limited to 30 seconds unless due to injury. Rubber disengagements. That means you can you can take your foot off the rubber for any reason twice in a uh, in a in an at bat. So that includes a pickoff attempt. If the third step off, which does not result in a pickoff, a balk is automatically called. So that means the runner gets the base. Pitcher can throw up, the, throw up the first base up to three times, but the third attempt must lead to an out or the runner gets the next base. The disengagement rule resets when the runner gets to a new base with no runners on. With no runners, a third step off would result in a mound visit. Okay. The shift, we realize that. Infielders cannot switch positions within an inning unless one of them is replaced. Um, we get that. And bigger bases um, should reduce injuries um, while increasing stolen base attempts. They say both outcomes occurred in the minors where bigger bases were tested. So there's that. All right. A uh, quick little nod here uh, to uh, the gambling gods, as we are wont to do on this show. Uh, quick look at the lines here, or at least I'll give you two games, two college games, two pro that I like each week. Uh, in college, the two games I like that are my favorite plays are – USC minus eight at Stanford. Uh, this is a USC offense that's really, really good. It's going to continue to be really good. Um, both of these teams had bad defenses last year. USC gotten 10 transfers. I think they're going to be better. I don't trust the Stanford offense yet. Tanner McKee, the quarterback, they're very capable, very good. Uh, but this is not a team that is, has a lot of other talent anywhere else on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, I like USC to roll in a big spot here on the road, Lincoln Riley and, and everybody at USC has them playing with a ton of confidence right now. Caleb Williams was fantastic in week one. I'm going to back the Trojans here, laying the eight points on the road. The Tennessee-Pittsburgh over 66. Uh, this is a Pittsburgh defense last week. They gave up 31 points. Probably should have been more had JT Daniels not had a deflected pass uh, intercepted. They gave up 31 points to a West Virginia offense that's nowhere near as good as the one in Tennessee. Pittsburgh defense is good, but it's not great. Uh, they lost a lot. They're going to get scored on. Tennessee's defense is bad. They're going to get scored on. So uh, I like the over in this spot. I think Tennessee is a team that can score 40 points each week, similar to Old Miss last year. Uh, they will be able to find the end zone on a routine basis. Hendon Hooker is going to have a phenomenal year, and he'll do it with his arm. He'll do it with his legs, and uh, that is a number, I think, while the – Tennessee totals are still sitting in the 60s. You could even go Tennessee team total. But while the totals are sitting in the 60s, uh, I'd go get them because they may go up to 70. Trust me, uh, it's going to get there. In the NFL, 
Uh, there are two games that I really like uh, this week. They are both divisional underdogs. One of them, my favorite bet of the week, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, getting a point and a half, maybe even two in some shops. This might be down to a pick them by the time they get the kickoff. Um, I have the Vikings winning the NFC North. Told you that yesterday. Uh, it starts here with this game. They're going to beat Green Bay in week one. Uh, this is a Minnesota offense that is nearly unstoppable at this point in time. And uh, they are going to be very, very tough to beat offensively. Green Bay's got a good defense. And this isn't a knock on Aaron Rodgers or the receivers or anything else, but Minnesota improved their defense as well. Plus, Minnesota finally has an offensive head coach who's not a putz like uh, uh, Mike Zimmer was and, and won't destroy the game the way Mike Zimmer did. So uh, give me the Vikings plus one and a half at home. Uh, and then I am going I want to take the Raiders here, getting three and a half points at the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, I've been high on the Raiders all year long. Told you the guys that routinely. There's a lot of reasons to be high on the Raiders. This is a very talented team. Um, and we'll find out Josh McDaniels take two the second time around. Uh, I think the Chargers, as good as they are from a talent standpoint, they're going to be a little bit overrated. Probably. I don't think I think the Chargers are not going to be that good. Uh, there are another couple of dogs that I do like. I do like Pittsburgh uh, getting all the points from Cincinnati and a fade Cincinnati. I'd wait to see if that thing gets to seven by kickoff. We're at six and a half now. I'd wait to see if it gets to seven. Um, and, and believe it or not, Houston getting eight and a half points at home. Colts win, Houston covers. All right. Uh, I know I gave up more picks than I normally do, but these are just some of the games I'm like, I can't help myself. Want you guys to have a wonderful weekend. Uh, enjoy the Falcons game. Hit me up on Twitter at Mark Zeno throughout the game. Obviously, uh, I'll have my eyes on it and we'll be watching it as well. So, uh, with that, and have a wonderful Friday. Great weekend. Back on Monday. Don't take any crap from anybody. See you.